these plays are classics because they take very large, broad political ideas and make them very personal. These plays are classics because they are intellectual yet also emotional meditations on the big questions in life. Heck yeah. These plays are classics because they are jam-packed one acts. <laughs> <laughs> This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater Podcast. We're your hosts, Sky Pagan, member of the Hedgepig Ensemble, curator and actor, etc. And me, Emily Lyon, the Associate Artistic Director of Hedgepig Ensemble and a curator of Expand the Canon. And we're here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based theater company that reimagines the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. By investing in the growth of our artists, we nurture an inclusive and collaborative community that creates artistically excellent work. All right. And this week, we are talking about two one-act plays by Fumiko Enchi. Indeed. If you're interested in the intersection of arts and politics, consider these two one-act plays. In A Restless Night in Late Spring, two college students debate the virtues of creating art or abandoning it all to become a political activist, both coming very close to understanding each other, though not seeing eye to eye. In A Hell of Her Own, we delve into similar questions. Is rebellion more virtuous than being, well virtuous. Women are at the center of both of these two beautiful, thoughtful slices of life, and both have exactly the same breakdown of actors to make doubling very easy. These were some of my favorite plays to find. We all lost our mind when we found these plays. <laughs> yeah, I mean, partially because it, it was an undertaking to find these plays and also to find like the right pairing for for the first play. So we, we first discovered her Restless Night in late spring and fell in love with it. And then we're like, okay, how do we pitch a one act? You know, can we have just a one act on, on the bill? And then... Luckily, I I ended up emailing the translator of Restless Night and asking, hey, on a crazy off chance, do you know of any plays that might be good to pair with this? And she was like, oh, well, I just casually translated another one of them that hasn't been published. Do you want it? Just for funsies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're like, oh, yes, please. Thank you. Um, and that's how we came up with Hell of Her Own. The process with which we found these is undoubtedly my favorite through the whole Expand the Canon first year. It was such a beautiful accidental rabbit hole to fall down. I forget when it hit me, but I was like, where where are all the Asian plays? Yeah, we we struggled at first to find any. And it's still hard to find translations. I mean, they're definitely out there and we have a number of names on the list that we know exist, but we cannot find in English and I am not 
a student. I'm now actually learning Korean, as is Shannon. Um, Are you guys? Oh, yes, you have talked about this. Yes. Um, although, again, like Duolingo does not a translator make. The, although the Duolingo bird <laughs> will follow you to your untimely death if you do not practice. Very true. I am. I don't know why I'm very adept at ignoring him now, though. Once I like broke my streak, <laughs> I was like, eh, sir, yeah. I can't be bothered. If he would translate a play, I would let him bother me for the rest of my life. I'm assuming it's a boy. I don't know why. They. They. They might. Legacy. I think the reason these two plays resonated so much, especially Restless Night, which is the one we found first, Mm. was sort of the time we were reading it in because we read this play for the first time in the summer of 2020. So it was right after the murder of George Floyd. There was all those protests happening. There was all this unrest. There was the pandemic. And there was this real reckoning, I think, with a lot of us as artists and citizens of feeling like, what have I been doing that has added to this problem to all these problems what have i not been doing what can i be doing more of is my art a luxury is my art Mm. is all art political should it all art be political and then reading restless night for the first time was just like seeing all the things that you've been thinking and feeling (laughs) anxious about on a page written a hundred years ago was wild totally the conversation between those two characters is just exactly the same one we were all having in our own private lives. And the resonance of that and how contemporary it felt was just so like the most surreal experience. (laughs) Exactly, exactly what you're saying. The play is really looking at this intersection of art and politics. And these two female painters who are in the same school have really kind of come up together and are very close. One of them is leaving painting and art for politics, for the pursuit of, at the time, Marxism. But sort of like it translates so easily to any important political movement now and is sort of cautioning her friend. She even literally says one of the lines is, I'm worried about your art. Mm. but really like this conviction of that's real that's what matters and yet they also kind of go back the other way and have this discussion of is art relevant are these sort of traditional forms and especially when you're a classical theater company hello (laughs) yeah are classical forms relevant should we only be making political work and you know that they can talk on both sides of that argument and ultimately spoilers the main character realizes that everyone has their own path and has this moment of sort of peace around it despite Mm -hmm. obviously being heartbroken in a number of ways but this this moment of both reevaluating and both choosing again their commitments to either politics or art and sort of letting that be okay was especially in 2020 a conversation that I think I needed to reflect on and wanted to reflect on and wanted to just like feel gotten. But still, even reading it again now is like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's still the conversation. Yeah. A thing that also struck me on rereading it was the there's some interesting class politics happening in this play. Mm. One of the through lines and one of the points of contention between the two characters is the woman who is quitting painting to get married and go become a Marxist revolutionary comes from a more financially secure background than Mm. the other woman does. And that's something that they talk about in the play. And the painter who is 
remaining a painter who comes from a less financially stable background talks about with her brother where she says, you know, my friend has the sort of luxury of convictions of getting to say, I'm I'm going to choose my moral sense, my politics over my labor, when to an extent that was another argument that the woman who stays a painter makes is she says, my my art is work, my art is labor. And mm -hmm. to treat art as something other than work delegitimizes it a lot of the time, which I think is a lot of the conversation we are having as an industry is like, oh, we've sort of forgotten about the fact that we are also workers and deserve ethical labor practices, et cetera, et cetera. And that just really fascinated me of the sort of intersection of like how much of your politics are luxury, how much of the ability to say something and to choose how you engage with your politics and the world is an element of privilege of a lot of people don't have the chance to, you know, whether it's I have to be at work to put food on the table so I can't afford to go spend a day protesting or it's my boss will retaliate on me and I don't have another job uh, that I can fall back on or family money and it's just a really interesting point in this play. Also, it connects to me, too, in one of the conversations in Hell of Her Own around mm -hmm. feeling the sense of stuckness. Because in Hell of Her Own, you're following a, a, a pair of female friends who are teachers and a, a male teacher that one of them is having an affair with or is thinking about having an affair with. But the, the main character also gave up her political leanings and her dedication to that and her passion to keep her job and feels both this interest and desire to have like change, the sort of romanticism of change, but also is being kind of pragmatic and thinking about, I need to stay in line because that's how life works. That's how society works and being afraid to step out of that. And I think that there's that balance for artists of this is what I know. This has been mm -hmm. my work. It feels almost to me, I'll say, if you're trying to go step out into a new industry and find another kind of work, it can be really challenging to do that too. So there's this this sense of my work is is where I'm safe. My yeah. work as art is also like how I have been. It's how I've been trained. It's what I know. It's what I'm good at. It's where I'm confident. These two pieces having these conversations on sort of what is the, quote, right path. So I love that Fumiko Enchi is really embracing these conversations around like, well, is there like can't you have passion? Can't passion look like different things? Mm -hmm. And I would just love to see these done and then have like the best conversation about them after. Oh, absolutely. Give me all of the late night salons after these shows. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's something I love so much about her writing is that she's engaging with these sort of uncomfortable fault lines in these supposedly more liberal spaces in the in these artistic communities in academia in how these really complicated issues of class and gender and political engagement and political alignment play out in those spaces which is really exciting and hyper relevant to our industry in classical theater and a great place to sort of start those conversations because there's no real conclusion history tell me about her upbringing so her father is actually a famous scholar a famous professor i think it's so interesting that she brings that sense of intellectualism and conversation into her plays 
because I, I would assume that's sort of the environment she grew up in. And also her grandmother was a big proponent in her becoming educated and particularly getting into literature. Actually, Fumiko Enchi is more known for her novels yes. uh, later in life, which is fascinating. I understand that I think one of them has been translated, The Waiting Years. Ooh. Yeah, The Waiting Years is apparently beautiful and won a Noma Literary Prize in Japan. Fancy. Going back to her, she was brought to kabuki performances by her father. And so even as a child, she was getting exposed to the theater and as as i mentioned her grandmother was introducing her to famous literature mm-hmm. she was reading some really interesting like english french chinese mm-hmm. and of course japanese literature from the time she was quite small and she did have a lot of individualized attention because she had really bad health she was oh. a very like sick child so she was educated at home for the most part and she had all these tutors by the age of 21 she wrote her first play oh my god yeah 21 makes me feel inadequate (laughs) word i know i'm like coming up on my jesus years being like oh no (laughs) and here she's like i already casually published a play she may have written other ones beforehand but her first play was published in 1926 for satu which translates to a birthplace Mm -hmm. and that was published in a magazine and then two years later restless night in late spring which is one of the plays that we are raving about was published in a magazine as well women's arts in 1928 and that same year it was produced on stage which was a huge deal for a woman at the time having a play actually be performed as far as i know restless night was the second play that she published and wrote um and that really kicked off a a period of writing of writing plays and around that time in 1930 she was kicking around with an interesting bunch of other artists uh, had an affair with one another writer who is i think not as cool as she is but that's okay she ended up marrying a journalist and they had a daughter but the late 30s and early 40s were a really rough time for her so she had bad health in her youth and then again like was got really sick and then of course you've got a big world war going on and her house and everything she owned was destroyed in a bombing raid on Tokyo in 1945 and then she's still not doing great health wise and so she gets a hysterectomy in 1946 oh my god so a couple tough years for our girl Fumiko. Yeah. But it ends happily. She goes on to kill it in the literary game. And she went on to write a ton of novels that won all sorts of prizes. Two of her uh, novels, The Days of Hunger and A Tale of False Fortunes, won the Women's Literary Prize. Mm-hmm. The other thing about Fumiko Enchi is that, that she really is focusing on women's psychology mm-hmm. and sexuality comes up in a lot of her work get it girl and interestingly like particularly the sexuality of older women which i was yeah. like okay so she wrote this book growing fog that is described as realism mixed with erotic fantasy okay. where an older woman is fantasizing about keeping her youth by having affairs with younger men i want that adaptation <laughs> into a play into a movie i want to see that i want to read that right let's get on translating all of these because there would be a market there is absolutely a market and that market is me 
I am the market. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Japanese translator, been sitting around thinking, hmm, if only I knew what to translate next. Slide into Let- our DMs. And of course, of course, biggest, biggest shout out to Ayako Kano, who translated both of the plays on our list. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fabulous. <laughs> Thank you, Ayako. Okay, now we have a scene from one of our plays. This scene is from A Restless Night in Late Spring, and it takes place between two of our main characters, Kayoko and Mitsuko. So here we have ensemble member Dorothea Gloria reading for Mitsuko, and Lizzie Roberts reading for Kayoko. Mitsuko has come over to Kayoko's apartment late at night to break the news of her imminent departure, and to try and make Kayoko understand her point of view. Take it away, Dorothea and Lizzie. I made up my mind. I'm going to stop painting. My, but that's really? Yes. But that would mean wasting everything you've achieved until now. I I don't understand. I knew you'd be against it, but I don't want us to part having told you some kind of lie. So I'll tell you everything today. I've kept it hidden from Professor Mizuki and you as much as I could, but for quite some time now, from the time I fell in love with Shimizu, my philosophy has changed completely. I feel bad for the professor, but I've lost all interest in this kind of painting or in any kind of conventional art that doesn't connect with modern science. I submitted a piece to the Imperial Art Exhibit last year, But that was just by sheer inertia. Even when the acceptance notice came, I didn't feel elated like the first time. And in any case, I just felt disgusted looking at the faces of those fancy ladies and gentlemen staring vacantly at my painting. That's when it started really sinking in that my painting's of no use whatsoever. Except to satisfy my own vanity and the spiritual vanity of the bourgeoisie. And I started thinking that I can't keep messing around with this kind of stuff any longer. Hiding behind the name of art and ignoring the injustice of society in which people live, such egoism disgusts me. Or our era is not one where we can wallow in such superficial narcissism. I think it's... Inevitable that an ordinary artist like me, born in this era, would turn into an ordinary Marxist girl. When I go to Kyushu, I shall use my body and my mind to help Shimizu as much as I can. And I want to start by fundamentally transforming myself to adapt to the proletariat way of life. I'm... So grateful he woke me out of my empty dream and led me to this place where I am now. As long as I'm with him, no matter what difficulties we may have, I'll never regret it. I have no reason to dismiss something that you trust so much, but I myself would never think of what we've been doing until now as just an empty dream. Holding a paintbrush isn't messing around. It's not vanity. It's, it's honest labor. It's reality. Nothing more, nothing less. If the viewer treats my painting as a mere trifle, that's not my problem. My own feeling when I'm trying to paint is always serious, almost unbearably so. I can't help but be serious in every sense of the word. 
I understand that. I went through that period too, but I could never lose myself in such insignificant feelings now. Insignificant? Well, if insignificant is a bad word, you could call it too leisurely or too quiet. If I have the time to make washed out conventional art, to give a bit of refreshment to the bloated guts of the bourgeoisie, it would mean much more for humanity to lend my hand to awakening the blind masses that are starving in the streets. Mitsuko, you said a moment ago that my life was too quiet and filled with leisure. But from my perspective, you're the one who's leisurely, much more so than I. You have the leisure to be altruistic. Far from messing around with a paintbrush, I clutch it desperately. That's the kind of human being I am. Other than painting pictures, I have no way of making a living, no source of self-respect. That's probably also the real reason I'm stuck in one place and can't move easily. I'm a human being who's not allowed to keep looking ahead and moving forward. I understand everything you're saying, but to me, you seem a bit cruel. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think I forced my ideas on you, but I couldn't help telling you. Please don't take it the wrong way. Wow, thank you so much to Dorothea and Lizzie for that awesome read. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for joining us for our Fumiko Enchi edition of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. You can learn more at expandthecanon.com. And for info on what's up next with us, you can follow us on Instagram. At Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or on Facebook. Slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. Or you can join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. You get some cute little blogs from us. You can also support this effort by donating at the link in the comments below. Bit.ly slash Hedgepig Memberships. Again, I am Sky Pagan. And I'm Emily Lyon. And thank you so much, and we'll see you real soon. Thank you. Read these plays. Read They're classics. These plays. Woo. <laughs>